This is day 192 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing chapters 26 through 28 of Matthew, and we're going to stop there because these chapters are long, and I want us to focus on what is happening here rather than jumping straight into Mark. So we're going to only do these three chapters today. Lord God, as we enter into your presence this morning, please help us to see the significance of what we're about to read. What we are going to see is what changed all of human history, what changed our destination, what changed our disposition in front of the Father. Lord, you caused us to be righteous in the sight of the Lord Father. You, Lord God, sacrificed yourself on that cross for us. We don't even understand the full implications of that. But Lord, we thank you for what you did and what you had to endure for our sake. Lord, as we examine this, please allow your Holy Spirit to reveal it to us in such a depth that we have never understood before. Please bless the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, Not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this, and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price, and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out thirty pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, 
that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing, too. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came back to the disciples and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away until I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. 
Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me? as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit at the temple teaching, and you did not seize me then. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and entered in, and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus, so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I will tell you. Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who was the one who hit you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, 
another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know this man. A little later the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and to swear. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said. Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Then when Jesus, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury, since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together, and with the money bought the potter's field, as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who was called Christ? 
they all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, His blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of them who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed, and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. 
But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Many women were there looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard they set a seal on the stone. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, 
do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews, and is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have now finished the first gospel of Matthew, and I thought it was appropriate to stop at the end of Matthew to not only spend our time focusing on this, but also because the reading was long. I think it's important that we take the time to look this over, and we can catch up on the chapters later on. Let's examine a few key things, because there's so much in here that it would take weeks upon weeks upon years even to get it all figured out. We see that during this time period, the high priest is named Caiaphas. And what's interesting about this is that Within the last 10 years or so, we have discovered phylacteries with his name on it. It's very possible that we found his burial site, and those phylacteries belonged to the Caiaphas. So I thought that was very interesting that archaeology confirmed that he was a real person. But this is interesting because he was the one that oversaw the death of Jesus. Now again, as we go into this, we have to understand this was always supposed to be the plan. Nothing deviated from God's will. All of this had to happen, as Jesus also said when he was arrested. So we see in verse 6 that there was a woman who came with an alabaster vial of perfume, and they thought it was wasteful, that it was all poured out on Jesus. But he made it symbolic for the burial that he was going to receive, and that this was going to be symbolic of him being prepared for the burial. Now, she's not mentioned here by name, but this is Mary, the same Mary who has a sister named Martha and a brother named Lazarus. It doesn't say it here in Matthew, but in some of the other Gospels, it identifies her as being that Mary. So just to be aware of that. And then, of course, they have the Passover. And we don't see everything that happens here. Like, we don't see him washing their feet, which some of the other Gospels record that. But we know that he did it. But most importantly here, his, he identifies that one of them is going to betray him. And that's consistent throughout all of the Gospels. And he also is doing what we call communion, 
the Lord's Supper, where we he took a piece of bread, said, this is my body, and then he drank of the wine and said, this is my blood. Let's be very clear. True Christianity does not believe in transubstantiation. What that means is, like the Catholics believe, that when you eat the bread, that it becomes the literal body of Christ, the flesh of Jesus within your stomach. That's disgusting to even think about, but that is what they believe. We understand it to be symbolic. We use that time to celebrate what Jesus did and to remember what cost he paid for us. So we understand it as is literally said in the Bible. This is done in remembrance of him, not as any sort of divine cannibalism. Then he goes into the garden and prays, and this in this particular gospel it doesn't say it either, but in one of the gospels it describes that while he's praying, because he says here that he is grieved to the point of death. I mean, that is some extreme stress and anxiety. But it says that in one of the other Gospels that he was sweating blood. And this is a condition that can actually happen through extreme distress. This is not just something that Jesus did uniquely. Any human can do this. But it comes through extreme distress. So it is a real condition that really can happen. And of all the times that he needed them, and to support him and to keep guard, they fell asleep. They were supposed to keep watch, and they couldn't do it. I find that so sad. I know it happened intentionally. Everything happened for a reason. But I find it so sad that in his greatest, darkest hour before his crucifixion, they couldn't be with him in the way that he needed them. And I found that so sad. It, it just really isolates him. And I think that's part of why it happened that way, to isolate him, to show that this is something that he must carry alone. But what does he pray to the Father at that time? He says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. So what cup is he talking about? He's talking about all the suffering and death that he is going to take upon himself. He understands that He's going to go on that cross, and he's going to take all the sin of mankind, past, present, and future, all at once, and nail it to that cross. It's temporary, yes, but it is extremely painful. Only the Son of Man could do this. Only someone who is divine could handle that much of a burden. But secondly is he understands that it is a separation from God. That's why he cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not only to fulfill prophecy, which David wrote in a psalm, but also because at that moment that the sin was applied to him, God could not even look at his own son. He was isolated for the first time in his entire existence. He was severed from his connection with God the Father. And that frightened him. He had never experienced that before, and he felt utterly abandoned. That is the cup that he wanted to pass from him. Now, he's not saying that he wanted to get out, but what he was doing is, in his human nature, he felt the fear. 
And he asks God, if there's any other way, let's do it. But what does he say? Yet, not as I will, but as you will. He was obedient to the Father to the end. He offered if there was another way, but if there was no other way, then let your will be done, Lord God. That is true obedience. Can we do that? Can we say that we can answer that to God? That I don't want to do this, but if it's your will, God, I will do it happily. There are going to be times in our lives where we will be either outside of our comfort zone in the name of God, or we will be put in similar situations to the first church. Our lives will be threatened. We will be beaten and utterly killed for the name of God, potentially. We need to be ready for that. That's what we signed up for. And we need to be ready to do whatever is necessary to fulfill the kingdom of God. So Judas brings a bunch of people with swords and clubs, I think, which I think is very interesting because they need, they need all this defense and weaponry against one man. Or perhaps they're worried that the disciples are going to attack and start a revolt of some kind. But he went peacefully. But there was one man who drew his sword and cut off the ear of the slave of the high priest. And that isn't mentioned here by name yet, but in one of the other Gospels it's identified as being Peter. We also don't see it in this particular Gospel, but Jesus picks up the ear and he puts it back on. He just picks it up and applies it back to the guy's head and he heals it back on. And his name is Malchus. But then he says something very profound in verse 52. Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword will die by the sword. But then he reminds them, if you believe who I really am, and if you think this is going out of plan, don't you think God is going to send legions of angels? And don't you understand that I have legions of angels at my disposal at any given time? If I needed to be rescued, I could make it happen. But what does he say? How will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? All of this happened intentionally because God had to fulfill his prophecy. This all happened intentionally. There was no other way to do this. And just as Jesus predicted, they all fled from him except for Peter. Peter's the only one. He fled, but he also stuck around to see what was going on. But we know what happens to Peter, that he denies Jesus three times, even to the point of cussing and swearing, and then he gets humiliated. Well, what's very interesting is that when Jesus is standing in front of the high priest, there are false witnesses that are making up stuff about him. But it says in verse 63 that he kept silent. And the men that were accusing him remembered what he said three years prior, that the temple could be destroyed and, and that he would be able to rebuild it in three days. And they remembered that, and they used that as the grounds for blasphemy. And that was all they really had to go on. But what none of them understood was the temple he was referring to was himself, his body, that his body was going to perish, and then within three days, he was going to be restored. And he kept silent the whole time until he made him answer with an oath. 
I adjure you by the living God. The living God is right in front of you. <laughs> they don't understand that. I adjure you, I command you by the living God. And, he, and Jesus had to answer to be obedient to the oath. And that's when he opened his mouth and said what he said. Tell us right now if you are the Christ. And Jesus said, yeah, I am. You have said it yourself. And then he got all angry and tore his robes. And, oh, there's your blasphemy right there. And those were the grounds for crucifixion. He declared himself to be the Christ, and they didn't believe him. So that was enough for them. Now, in chapter 27, we see Judas fulfill prophecy as well. He got 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus, which was already predicted. But then he had a change of heart, and he went and committed suicide. And with that money, the 30 pieces of silver, they bought the potter's field, which was literally named that in the Old Testament. I just find that fascinating. That, that is how you know the difference between God's prophecy and the fake prophecy in the world, that it is specific, and it is detailed in these predictions, and they come true exactly as stated. That's the major difference. So this is one account of his interaction with Pilate, but you see the full story if you put all of the four Gospels together. But this one is unique in that it mentions Pilate's wife. No other gospel records this one, that have nothing to do with this righteous man. So even Pilate's wife knew that he was innocent. And she even says that God visited her in a dream. She suffered greatly because of him in a dream. That's very interesting. It makes you wonder why. So even though Pilate's wife didn't know anything about Jesus, she knew that he was righteous and he was innocent because of what God showed her in a dream. And Pilate thought he had things under control. But when he was trying to release Jesus, he miscalculated. And he didn't realize that the Jewish leaders were going to be so fervent in this and so intensely angry with Jesus that they refused to listen to reason like it says here in verse 16 that Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. He must have done something serious. And yet they still wanted to release him over Jesus, which is crazy. So we know the story. As we go into the crucifixion, you can see it for yourself. But in their own words, the Jewish people condemned themselves this day. In verse 24, Pilate washes his hands to show that he is innocent. Is he really innocent? No. Because the other Gospels show that he bowed to the will of the crowd because of politics and out of fear. If he truly believed that Jesus was innocent, he would have done more to stop this. But he didn't. So he's equally as guilty. He can wash his hands and think he's okay, but he's not. But then we see that the people respond to Pilate and say, His blood shall be on us and on our children. I find that very sad that they said that, because they have no idea what they've done. And yeah, they're exactly right. His blood shall be on us and our children in such a way that it betrays them. They are being constantly condemned because of what they've done. It is a shame what the Jewish people did to their Messiah, to our Messiah. 
That is no excuse to treat them poorly, by the way. That is why throughout history you see things like the Holocaust. In reality, the Holocaust was sanctioned by the Catholic Church. Hitler himself was a Catholic. And when the Jewish people reached out to the Catholic Church, they said, you deserve to die because you murdered the Messiah. That's not the right answer. That's not the right way to approach this. They did this in their ignorance. Why did they throw him to the wolves? Why did they want him crucified? Pilate figured it out. Verse 18, he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. They were jealous of him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were jealous of him. That's why they wanted him dead. It really hasn't changed throughout human history. It still remains that way. In verse 38, we see the two robbers who were crucified to his side. This is an incomplete picture of what happened here. And I did a sermon on that recently. But the thing is, is that this is exactly what happened. But then if you look at a different account later in Luke, you'll see that the story's different. Where one of the criminals on the cross asks Jesus to remember him when he goes into his kingdom. That happens after this event, where they are mocking him intensely, demanding that he steps down from the cross and prove who he is. And even the criminals are doing it too. This isn't a contradiction. This is just part one of what happened. You can draw your own conclusion from this, but when you read verse 46, when he says those words in Aramaic, it says in response, he's calling out for Elijah. Some people think that the word Eli, Eli, means that he's calling for Elijah. It may be, it may not, I'm not sure, but it would kind of make sense if that were the case. Now, I'm sure we can understand the crucifixion and the death and burial of Jesus, and we can leave it at that for today, because we're going to look at the other Gospels as we go through this. And what I want to do is when we get to that point, we can come back to this and compare and see if we can get the bigger picture of what really happened here so that we can not only just have bits and pieces from each of the gospel accounts, but we can put it all together and get the complete narrative of what happened here during his crucifixion. So for now, we'll go ahead and stop with that, but let's move on to a couple of other topics. So we see that in verse 62 of chapter 27, the priests are a little worried that it's actually going to happen exactly as Jesus said. But so they're going to try and twist it to say, well, he's not really going to rise. They're just going to steal his body, and then they're going to say he's going to rise because the tomb is empty. So they go to Pilate and say, hey, can we get some guards set up to where if they try to steal his body, we can stop them? And he says, yeah, sure, go ahead. But we see guards witness the angel moving the rock. We see the angel causing earthquakes and looking like a supernatural being. And it frightened them to the point where they were like dead men, like they were so stunned that they couldn't even move. And what do they do afterwards? They went and reported what happened. You would think that if you were of God, then you would believe what you saw and you would accept it with gladness. But they hated Jesus so much, and they don't even know their God, 
with such intensity that here, I'm going to give you some money. You're going to say this is what really happened, and you're going to cause a conspiracy to happen. Now, these soldiers had the opportunity to say no, but they didn't. They took the money, and they perpetrated a lie. Do you see the problem here? How are we going to be Christians after what we've seen and heard and the miracles that have likely happened in your life and then deny Jesus to somebody's face and explain it off as something else? I pray that will never happen with you. If you are truly God's child, you will not. But I pray that you would never, in your darkest moments, betray the Lord, to deny him, to blaspheme his name, to call upon hatred toward him. Let's not be like these guards. They saw amazing, wonderful things that were indisputable, and we don't know what kind of conscience that they had either. But they submitted to the fear of the people and the greed of wealth. I pray that we would never sacrifice our integrity like that especially with what we have seen and heard. Jesus is far too precious to betray him and to sell him off for something much less that won't really satisfy. So my hope is that we are not like them. I beg you not to be like them. And lastly, we see a fitting end to the book of Matthew, which ends with the Great Commission. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have done everything I was told to do. What I came to do, I accomplished it. And for, because of that, the Father has given me dominion over everything. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity. So this is our current mission. This is what we're soldiers of God training for, going and making disciples. That's only half of it, but this is the other half. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So you don't just tell them to seek Jesus, but you also tell them to obey the commandments. Why? Because Jesus also says in the book of John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love the Lord, which we truly should, then we would keep his commandments. And we would teach people to do it too. So we lead by example. We have an internal relationship with God. But we also are teaching people to observe that. So especially if you're a teacher or a pastor. And you're standing in front of your people. Shepherding their souls. That is what we should be doing too. We should be telling them to observe everything that Jesus has ever commanded us. That is what is required. He will be with us always until the end of the age. What is the end of the age? Well, the end of the age is when he returns. And that is when everything else is going to happen. And then we will be ushered into a new age where there is no more death, there is no more suffering, and there is no more pain, no more darkness. That is the new age. But until then, we must observe in everything that he has commanded us to do. And with that, that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time.
Take care and God bless.